Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, how our issues are reducible to a wounding of the personal will, the poisonous notions of altruism, sacrifice, and unconditional love, parent projections onto God, and of course, much more. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, welcome forward. Episode 37. It's uh, We're recording this the day after Thanksgiving, so I very much feel like kind of in vacation mode. And um, thank you, Stace, for being here. This is part three of who knows how many parts in sainthood. Yes, um, it is. And I think uh, I, I was reviewing some of the possibilities and we might even have a fourth here, but we'll see how it goes today. Yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, there's something appropriate feeling about an open-ended uh, ending and sainthood. Like who knows, <laughs> this sort of mystery and the, what's, what's the phrase, uh, unattachment or no, a surrendering of outcome. Yes, surrendering of outcome. So we even employ that fractal and being unable to um, guarantee that this will be the last one on sainthood. So, yeah. Yeah, surely not. I mean, there's only three hoods. So whenever we talk about anything, there's a one in three chance, at least just numbers wise. That's right. So I know we we still haven't um, gone into the unholy trident of... um, of hellish distortion and um, paradigmatic mayhem uh, <laughs> uh, and self-forgiveness and karma are on the agenda as well, perhaps. Where did you want to start today? Actually, um, a, a, a bit of a, um, it's not a backtrack, but a meta, a meta start, just a short meta start. I want to um, review the impact of uh, divine being being holoarchal rather than hierarchical in the way that we relate to ourselves even so i'm I'm, always up for review for sure yes (laughs) okay so um of course we said in other in past uh, podcasts that uh divine being was projected to be hierarchically structured in some way uh, which is a false projection of our own human um tribal kinds of uh, survival structures that we've had to have good of the group uh is uh, um, in the past has outsized the good of the individual for the survival of the most uh, as, a, as opposed to the survival of one or two. So hierarchy uh, is a distribution of authority um, where um, tribal elders, of course, uh, have more sway over what happens to the um, to the tribe. And of course, the Pope is uh, the, uh, the elder of the uh, tribe of Catholicism and we imams are the uh, shared kind of uh, elders for uh, Islam and so there are, if you look at all religions, they're basically tribes all saying that their way is the right way and all the other tribes are wrong. Um, and it all comes out of hierarchy. Uh, uh, when hierarchy, uh, projected hierarchical structure uh, joins um, the unholy uh, thing called absolute truth. Uh, so not only is God not hierarchically structured, there's no such thing as absolute truth for humans. So when those two things, hierarchy and absolute truth, meet in a shotgun marriage of <laughs> paradigmatic uh, uh, um, dissolution, 
uh, you get the kind of mayhem and uh, historicity of uh, religions and violence and going against their very principles of their own paradigms. Mm. So um, let's reiterate, um, divine being is holoarchically oriented, and, and that's, this has enormous ramifications for the personal experience of divine being. Remember, we've uh, the first our first sainthood one we talked about how we 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 can no longer believe in divine being as the way to experience it. Actually, it's never been. Belief has always been in the way, uh, but now that the ante has been upped to um, experiencing the divine being in different yinic ways uh, that um, uh, uh, inform exactly why uh, sainthood is uh, so interestingly problematic and challenging these days. Oh. Because the mind is young, would mm -hmm. belief-based orientations towards sainthood now since 2012 be even less supported? Yes, mm. absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, people, my read of the um, global, uh, overall global CQ or consciousness quotient of the planet at the moment, people are so um, wedded to and reactive to the state of turmoil and div div divisiveness uh, between, um, uh, for example, like uh, uh, fascism and democracy uh, and, and our political parties aligning along the, those kinds of extremes in some way. They're so concerned with the state of the world and their part in it that um, belief in God um, is taking a, sec a, a, rear, a rear seat because they're just trying to get along and stay sane in a, in a really crazy time for all of us. So yes, the the mind uh, uh, beliefs. Oh, that's that's a point you make. Let's reiterate that belief is held to be a heart based thing by religions, yeah. um, uh, relative to faith, um, um, and so they don't realize that a belief is a product of the mental body only. It's just a mental body construct. A belief. Uh, so many people just because you believe something to be true doesn't mean it's true, and. People are, especially the far right conservative uh, religions, if they believe something, it must be true, uh, instead of just having a maybe about it, uh, which yeah, they can't once, afford. You once said a long time ago um, that uh, belief is in the mental body, and then the faith is a secondary reaction to the belief that yes. we wouldn't even say is the emotional body, like the feeling body. You have a feeling, feeling body, reaction. Yes, to uh -huh. the belief, but people, they don't track the unconscious belief, especially if you were raised to believe in yes. God from the right. time you were born, then sure. you don't ever remember making the mental body belief choice. So yes. you're, you're just left with the feeling body. Well, I just, I just feel it. I feel it. But you don't realize that you made a, a, a mental body decision beforehand. That's a really good way to put it. And another way to say what I just heard you say in between the lines too, Joseph, is that, uh, Con we're conditioned to have such a belief uh, and in atheistic households mm -hmm. largely conditioned not to have the belief um, so the conditioned our conditioning is <clears throat> basically mental body patterning and secondary feeling based reactivities to what we've been said this is right this is wrong this is good this is bad all of our conditioning mm -hmm. so can a uh, consciousness quotient our cq is roughly inversely proportional to the another CQ, which is conditioning quotient. <laughs> ah, like yes. an inverse square law. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say. So, exactly. and, and that's also related to porosity, right? Which we haven't covered soul species stuff, but we will. But, but certain yes. people, certain kinds of souls are more susceptible to conditioning than others. Yes, which has a lot yes. To do with and, CQ. 
Yeah, younger souls, just in, mm. from one other wash through that, younger souls um, uh, are their conditioned selves. Uh, their first 50 or 100 lifetimes here, they can't really um, dis um, uh, make a distinction between the conditioned version of themselves and the possible deeper, more authentic version of themselves. So for 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 the vast majority, two thirds uh, of the planet, um, they are they are their conditioned self and all they've got to relate to some sort of divinity is a belief system. That's all they can do. And at, le at least religions, and I say really in the least, um, that at least they've, been, they've, they've held the banner that there is such a thing as a self-aware God. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that um, they need to be, um, they, they, they win a gold medal on that one. But uh, because they uh, misread uh, the structure and divine beings relationship uh, to uh, humanity, um, they're, they're the, they cause as much problems as they do uh, good in the world, uh, but it's about 50, 50. So, mm -hmm. which is not a very good percentage, uh, for some, for religions that hold themselves as absolute, absolute truth. truth. Yeah. <laughs> so, really uh, far from that. Uh, yeah. Infinitely yeah, far was, away. Right. One of the things I used to say that you used to laugh, no matter what setting it was, you used to laugh is that, um, if, if, to, it's, if religions, uh, teachings, uh, we're going to affect the world uh, uh, in some way, uh, really deeply and and um, uh, uh, specifically uh, improved. It would have done. It would have happened by now, uh, given how many uh, eons. Uh, and how many how many millennia do you give? You know. Uh, yeah. An idea. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, back to the main point here. Uh, where the rubber meets the road on this is a holoarchical, a holoarchical structured divinity uh, is going to directly affect our relationship to that divinity. Let last time or the time before we talked about how divine being has no interest in in uh, glory, is a, to be given glory by us, or is no uh, need to be worshipped. Uh, that would be a very insecure God that would need to be worshipped, obviously. So that all's with the hierarchical stuff, projections. But in a oh, I never connected that to a hierarchy, of course, right? Because you'd have to be yeah. less than to worship, right? Uh -huh. Absolutely right. Yeah, there's got to be as un unbridgeable distance. And that is what a holoarchical divinity completely obviates. Um, there is, there can be no uh, distance between a holoarchical um, divinity center, let's say, and its more distal expressions of which the human race is one version of its distal structure, which means um, if you are untrue to yourself, let's say, um, and uh, you are being untrue to divine being because that there is an, a seamless connect between our consciousness and, and divine beings consciousness. As opposed to you have sinned against God, which is yes. a self versus other hierarchical model. Yeah. yeah. And, and the worst part of that hierarchical thing for us at the distal end is that uh, our distal end as human beings with bodies, minds, and will uh, uh, has, have never been uh, defined as spiritual to themselves, unto themselves. Our humanity has never been made spiritual of and to itself. Um, uh, and, when we, and by that, by that means, uh, supports the other paradigmatic 
um, a design that uh, there's a, a, a distance between us that has to be adored and made the only way to make connect with God is to adore it, give it what it wants. Does that sound remotely yeah. familiar like parents? Oh uh, gosh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tribal, tribal um, religions, all they did was project uh, yeah. uh, well, parents. Yeah, go ahead. I'm wrong. I'm bad. Uh, mm -hmm. I must have done or been something to not get the love I need from you. So I'll give up on this and serve you. That's exactly yes. what we do as children with parents still yeah now that that and that is one of the reasons why as a species we stay at such low cq because we're hampered not only by um religion that way but we're hampered by even by psychology who a lot of psychologies have, have, have gotten caught and caught wind of the unconscious way parents abuse or neglect kids they're just starting to taste that in some more specific ways that think of how that obviousness that we projected um, our own parenting um, experience with uh, emotively immature parenting all these centuries and millennia onto God and and divine being is well it, from where it sits from what I can uh, uh, sense in it is it's completely merciful about this is where my human family is at the moment at least in, on on Earth uh, mostly young souls. Uh, it just waits for the earth to mature uh, that way. And identity is hopefully a way that um, that can get actuate a little more. There's, there's a really, really incite, incisive um, sequelae to a uh, religion, a spirituality or a religion created 2000 years before the concept of projection was fully understood. <laughs> just that sure. one thing like, hmm, are we actually directly experiencing God or are we projecting onto it? And, and how much is each? Yes. Uh, and I think we said last time, remind me if, uh, if I'm repeating myself here. But Oh, like um, as if I would know. Oh, okay. That's right. <laughs> I got some Currently. notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, <clears throat> belief in a God is, is for animals and insects, uh, uh, not for human beings. Um, because, again, animals, animals and insects, uh, all other kinds of beings are, are self-aware but they're not aware they're self-aware. Mm -hmm. uh, they act, they, they know love, quote unquote, um, look at the way mother cows or mother boar or mother um, uh, pigs uh, raise their young hens, even um, sit on their eggs and treasure them for as long as they do. Um, but they're not aware they're self-aware. And that's where um, the inheritance of, of um, our angel ancestors, uh, divine being is aware it's self-aware. Um, and its first creation were angelic consciousnesses. Uh, and those angelic consciousnesses got the inheritance of being aware, we're self-aware. So when they started um, incarnating in earth, uh, uh, the, the soulfulness as manifested in a human body, we have the capacity of uh, uh, awareness of self-awareness. So in that sense, um, uh, uh, our self-awareness and our awareness of our self-awareness is Identity offers proof of soul consciousness, which differs us from our animal nature, which we have an inheritance of. We have similar blood um, distribution and um, and uh, uh, um, air, uh, uh, oxygen, and nitrogen intake uh, organs in our bodies, like all other mammals, mostly. 
So uh, we have a, a human um, anim animal uh, version in the body, but if we were just animals, we would not. We would only be self-aware and not aware we're self-aware. We, we've invented all of civilization. All of our civilization uh, comes out of awareness of self-awareness. Uh, without that, we have all you could do is make beehives or bear dens or uh, monkey pods. Um, so uh, awareness of self-awareness is the soul um, inheritance that links us indelibly to divine being. So back to the certain first meta part here, um, I wanted to make sure that all of our, um, all of identities, ways of looking at things uh, in, the, in, in this arc of our podcast, at least uh, keep getting more and more personally experiential what does that mean for our personal relationship with God that it's holoarchically configured and there's no such thing as sin? And it's not, it's our, it's our progeny. We're, we are its progeny. It's our ontogeny. Um, but to project our own parenting on it is um, um, evidential of very low CQ. And that's another reason why you have to do personhood before certainly sainthood, but also sagehood um, because uh, of the, um, you can't experience a God if you're too busy with parent projections on everybody and everything around you. In, the, in exactly the same way, Joseph, yes, that if, 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 men, as, uh, if men have underlying unhealed mama issues, uh, and they're going, to, they're going to project that on a meeting with a woman. And if women have unconscious uh, uh, um, a mother or father issues, uh, they're going to project that uh, ahead of the time unconsciously on mating with men in the same, whether it's um, a, a same gender, cisgender or, um, or a pangender uh, uh, relatedness is all the same. And what that means is projection uh, won't allow presence and engagement in our related, our relation, our relationality. Um, uh, and that's true in in our parenting deficits that turn out to create projections on each other, friendship and intimate wise. Um, it's the same thing with God. Uh, uh, while we have all these projections uh, on divine being, well, it, how can it allow evil to be in the world? And mm. when it says, good question. Why do, why do you allow it still? Uh, that's its <laughs> answer, right? It's well, our job. And I want to add something about this projection thing. Um and the invasiveness, because it's been my experience that even after processing quite a lot of um, parent stuff and getting underneath a lot of those projections, it, the beginning of encountering real divinity still triggers up that invasiveness issue. So mm -hmm. I would imagine it, it's like, it seems to be you have to process the personhood projection issues just to be able to qualify to get to the doorstep so <laughs> yes. because sometimes it the the encountering the divine feels like being taken over by a body snatcher being like an like an alien presence is trying to take me over and yes. and i can imagine if i hadn't worked any um personhood stuff at all i wouldn't even get to that doorstep you know there would just be no space no tolerance in my unconscious for that well, wow, that's a great a great point, and um, you just reminded me, Joseph, of um, William Defoe's Jesus character in um, back in the eighties. That uh, movie, Passion, is that William Defoe? Is it a different uh, one? No, no, no. The one where um, 
Oh, who is the director? I forget. At any rate, it's an alternative, um, an alternative Jesus, uh, not the religious version. And uh, early in the film, Last Temptation of Christ. That's it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, William Defoe uh, uh, falls on the ground, holding his head, screaming in pain, and in effect is saying, "Please stop loving me so much." Ah, uh, yeah. Because um, while we have conscious or unconscious uh, walls to our own emotive authenticity, divine beings' presence can be hellish. Mm -hmm. It can drive you, it can make you crazy. Uh, just like um, people who uh, have spontaneous, not pre-dual enlightenments can be made crazy, which is part of divine being too. Uh, Pre-duality is part of divine being. So you've got to be adequately adequately prepared for this to experience it as human as human mm -hmm. okay so i wanted to just get get that um that those kind of topics um reiterated uh and 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 to start off kind of where we left off before i want to reiterate also with a little different compass bearing that um our the missing piece in our experiencing divine being directly without needing any beliefs in it is all mediated by experiencing our own soulful self uh it, we only are driven crazy um, by divine beings presence should it find us uh when we've not yet cultivated the means or the ways to um in, in find our own soulful self-awareness right so related to what i was saying who is it that would be experiencing the divine as invasive Yes, not the authentic soul self. No, no, uh, and and that's why um, the, it's the only way. Why personhood and sagehood are so intrinsic to being able to qualify for experientially validating um, a, a, a presence of divine being as if it were an other, much less a lively companion that uh, you can have conversation with every day and have it and, and hear its answers. So in that sense, um, uh, you can't cultivate a relationship with divine being unless you cultivate a relationship with the divine being of yourself, which is our soul self. And that's what we talked about last time, about the difference between the mind-based eye, which we lose slavery to after pre-dual sagehood aspect of sainthood. Um, once that happens, the door opens to possibly allowing entree of the soul eye into our being and the first thing that that uh, is ideally does is start pushing up projections um, making them aware of uh, uh, the soul is light and heat and what it does it, it pushes forward unhealed or emotively inauthentic versions of us right into our consciousness which can be really disabling yeah i'm experiencing a projection onto the divine right now <laughs> I'm just oh, like, so. Well, um, I'm just sort of connecting back uh, some dots when we talked last time, you know, was asserting that metaphor of the house and like, you oh, know, yeah. so mm -hmm. the the house is the divines and they make the rules and you're free to do whatever you want, mm -hmm. but it's the divines house and you're ultimately going to have to realize that the it's you're going to have to follow the rules through the negative consequences. And yes. I just started that feel also related to what I'm going through personally these days, just like having a deeper feeling of an experience of how my life is not my own. And uh -huh. some part of me is pissed. Like uh -huh. it's like from that part's perspective, it's like, okay, so I can do whatever I want. 
Yes. But I don't, and I don't get to know the rules in advance. Right. And I have to face the consequences of those. And right. it's not only like I get to do whatever I want. I have to do whatever I want because it's the only way I'm going to find out the rules. <laughs> That's right. And it's either dead ending or open ending. Yeah. yeah. And so then I think the, the projection sort of trigger was a realization of like, oh, this is all for you. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about me playing. It's your game. Why I don't right. get to really have my own life. It's. It's sort of like, you know, you can do whatever you want with the game of Monopoly as long as, you know, you roll the dice and do the squares. You can't play four square with Monopoly. It's that's it's 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 game. It is. If there's there's some part of me that feels really limited by that and kind of pissed like I I don't get to have my own life. All right. Um, (laughs) There's a beautiful, uh, great example and reasonable, a reasonable uh, position or anti-position, however you know. <laughs> uh, but here, here's there's a really straightforward solution to that. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that pissed offness should be directed to your soul eye, <laughs> not to God, <laughs> because yeah. the soul the soul eye wants to replace your wounded condition version of self. I, I see. It's really the false self versus. It's a false versus. It's the false self versus the realer self. It's pissed off. Because it yes. thinks this, it's not going to get what it needs, but actually, this is the way it's going to get what it needs. Exactly, and mm-hmm. that's that's the heartful um, realization. Sometimes it hits you little drop by drop, or all of a sudden in a moment, and and that'll allow uh, allow us to let go of resentments against that it's it's game because its game is divi- is designed for us to win it. Yeah, and you know what? Under, underneath this. Uh, underneath this, under, underneath this, I feel grief. That's what's underneath it. It's the, the grief of this life that I've, the, whatever the, we haven't. T- I don't know how to say this. Go ahead. The, the, Go ahead. the false life that the false me has lived is uh-huh. dead ending, and it's sad. And and the piss the pissness was sort of a layer on top of it. Oh, good good inner tracking there, Joseph. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the grief is cleaner yeah. than the resentment that way. Reasonable, both are reasonable, but some things are more reasonable than others, right? Yeah. And so our own soul eye, your own soul eye, first wants to claim you. It has to claim you and get, get some inroads, which you re, we need personhood to be able to allow it to come in. And sagehood really ups the ante because it addresses, sagehood addresses existential level issues uh, unhealed and um, uh, personhood, the situational based uh, conditioning that way. So uh, the soul eye is trying to find you, and that's pushing up the grief uh, that um, the uh, and it is for all of us, Joseph. Uh, I had a, 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 a Pacific Ocean of grief over how much my unhealed version wasn't allowing my own soul eye to um, replace my conditioned eye. Um, not just the mental body, but the wounded emotional body needed to heal its way to being reclaimed by the soul eye. So the soul, uh, our soul's um, replacement of our wound-based existential and situational wound-based conditioning cell, conditioned cell, is the only way divine being who's who's uh, uh, loaded up behind the soul eye uh, once the soul eye starts to infuse our our human life and changes our life 
so much changes our chakras, changes our physical health, all these kinds of things. Then divine being is backloading that and that, that will start to pass through us also. And only when our we make peace with our soul eye to a large degree uh, will divine beings start coming in in a more expansive way so that it comes out in the front where you can experience God, the div divinity of God in front of you in your human experience. And the and again, the, the key is uh, liberating the soul uh, to uh, inhabit your version of your body, this life, your version of your mental body, willful body and physical body. Right. And so that's why it's so important. We have to we, literally it's alchemy. We have to alchemize ourselves uh, and identity offers the means to do that to um, one day encounter uh, divine being. And so in that sense, like, like one last piece about soul here, I wanted to make sure we, we are still on, on sure footing here um, that soul, our soul the relationship between the soul and the body, which people still, I, I know people in identity who've been in identity for years who still don't quite feel or experience what identity offers about the body being a precipitate, um, an, a, a matter-based precipitate inside the soul field of our soul eye uh, so that there's no difference. The soul is not inside the body. As we've said before, the body is inside the soul. And uh, um, that oval, ovoid type um, um, uh, field of our soul field is what people see as the aura. And so as this, as the, um, you could think of our personal body self, my body mind self, let's put it that way, uh, and its state of being um, as uh, uh, simply in the way of the soul's our soul's integration, conscious integration with, it's already integrated with it. We just, we're, we've not been conditioned to experience that. But our awareness of how it's just a precipitate inside our soul field requires that our human self that's been conditioned heal enough that that soul, as we said, can start gaining entree from the rear uh, in us and start changing the way our chakras metabolize our experience, uh, open third eye, um, deepen third eye, find um, allowing yourself to really like um, in our in personhood where we talk about me spacers especially but we spacers too me spacers <laughs> like you and I we we know uh, um, how to care but we don't know how to love and we spacers know how to love but don't know how to care and that what that means is for me spacers like you and I um, uh, we associate with our love, our love objects. We don't go further in uh, and allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Whereas we spacers start out less defended, but deeper defended in some ways. And they know how to love, but actually they don't know how to care or express that love uh, with their, with their partners or their intimates. So in that sense, um, we have to heal so many of these relational spaces in our in our human life in order for the most important relational space the relational space between our soul eye and our mind and will and physical based eye that's our primary relational space without which if we don't heal that which we haven't gotten good direction to do by either spirituality religion or psychology 
we're just going to be flailing around as individuals and as a tribe, a human tribe, and knowing uh, how to be in direct experiential relationship with divine being, which is a big mouthful. Um, but I wanted to re revisit that, that the about how the, the body, the body mind version of us is not only wounded by our societies and our and our ineffective parenting, uh, malparenting, uh, but it's also um, uh, impeded um, by the way we're conditioned energetically to relate to ourselves. So you're uh, the blank spots that I know um, you, you've been open with here in these podcasts. Um, it's all because your soul eye is trying to claim you uh, in advance of divine being trying to claim you. That's the first iteration of our, of divine being as our own soul. That, eye. Is that technically personhood or sainthood? The soul eye claiming the local eye. Um, that the the personhood piece takes care of the situational impedance. Ah. Ah. Sagehood takes away the existential impedance. And the last impedance is negotiating, as we said last time, with personal will. The only thing that's left, the mind is you're liberated from the mind in sagehood. You're liberated liberated from projections and emotional uh, uh, inauthenticities in personhood. Now the last thing left is how do you adjudicate personal will with divine beings will, which first requires an adjudication, just as you just so beautifully um, vulnerabilized for everyone, um, is will the will of the body-mind uh, version of self, uh, how do you adjudicate that with the soul's will? Uh, it's the yeah. first step. Yeah, after our last conversation, uh, I connected a bunch of dots that had sort of been slowly connecting because in in uh, in the 1.0 version of this paradigm, it wasn't nearly as clear. I mean, it wasn't really clear at all until the 2012 stuff started to happen that it's all about this ginormous ultimate meta theme of love versus will. So to yes. recast the three hoods, you know, we used to yeah. talk about it as healing the three fears, which it still is, but the operationalization right. of that is uh -huh. authenticating the well will. Let me see if I can get this right. Authenticating uh -huh. the will, um, taking the. Let me see if I can get A versus B right. Um, taking the will, uh, taking the slavery of the will out of the mind. The mind enslaves the will, or the will enslaves the mind. The will enslaves the mind enslaves by default because yeah. will is upstream of mind. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the will is using the mind and then the mind yes. is not a free, authentic sort of body. Um, exactly. So it cleans that up. So this emotional body, the mental body, and then it makes sense that the piece de resistance would be the uh, uh, a willful body and soulman. Is that what we're calling it? Yes. Willful body. Like, so, so then because when the emotions are authenticated and the childhood is healed mm -hmm. significantly, and then the mind is able to is no longer gripped up with will, then yes. the divine can come through. Yes. That's, I mean, I, I just wish I could tell all the 1.0 <laughs> folks that because uh -huh. that's, a, that's actually without the paradigm changing really much at all. Yeah. From 1.0, it's actually a total recasting of it in a really exciting way. Total recasting because uh, uh, first, first, um, you uh, the building of any structure, including a paradigmatic structure, starts with the structure, 
And then you gradually, through trial and error, big trial and error, <laughs> you start filling in the grid work of the structure with experiential validations um, that deepen the meaning of the structure. So mm -hmm. 2.0, um, the collapse in 2015, uh, was all um, a part of the bigger plan because we really went as far as we could with 1.0 based mostly in structure, not an actual experience, even though lots of people had lots of amazing experiences. Sure. Um, uh, it was only about 35 or 40% of the capacity of the paradigm to uh, actuate real internal transformation and transmutation. So yeah, well said. Yeah, and so the the collapse was actually part of your own willful body and soulment path, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely right. Wow. Think of it this way: um, all of our personal wills, because of malconditioning from society, religions, and parenting—not uh, parents, parenting. Mm -hmm. Parents do the best they can do. We're not criticizing parents; we're criticizing parenting uh, paradigms that are out there. Uh, uh, all of our wills have been wounded. Uh -huh. All of our personal wills, we our personal will was either oversupported, creating entitled kids, or undersupported, um, creating people who are confused on how to be themselves. Or uh, another way of saying it is parents became our will. Our will was twisted around our parents' emotional inauthenticities. So we're starting off with a wound-based will that then needs to employ the mind for control and understanding to make our lives safe because our will doesn't know how to create a sumptuousness uh, um, uh, while we're in contact with our emotions. You can certainly repress emotional states or, or take drugs, uh, uh, not 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 proper use psychedelics, which are fine in many in most cases, not all cases. Um, but the the, the will uh, is uses the mind to repress emotive um, uh, difficulties, so we can survive and try to thrive on this planet. So that's why sagehood is so important, Joseph, because we pull the rug out of um, the only way to pull the plug on a wound based will is to weaken it in personhood situationally, then we unplug it existentially because when we disappear momentarily or in small, small, uh, little deaths all the time, existentially, what goes away? Our, our, we lose experience of ourself, meaning our personal will is unplugged in those Satori moments. Hmm. Uh, so now that's rebooted. That gives room for the soul's will to come in and say, okay, all right, we've got situational and existential room now. Let's start um, fine-tuning now uh, my version of myself. And now in, in willful body and soul and in sainthood, we start to, uh, we're sophisticated enough with our self-consciousness to start adjudicating our will with divine beings, which again, <laughs> I want to reiterate, when we say adjudicate our, our will with divine beings will, Divine's being's will for us is what our own soul eyes will for us right. is. So it's hierarchical, <laughs> not hierarchical. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, this is what our incarnational imperatives are about. Uh, when divine being says no, to, tells me no, um, don't follow up on this music career. Um, when I said, I asked it, yes or no, should I take this? Or, uh, no. Uh, 
it, it's enforcing my soul. Uh, uh, I asked it to not support any monetary or, or emotional fulfillment um, uh, 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 that would stop me from manifesting my, my, my tier one incarnational, incarnational imperative, which was to um, offer this uh, um, uh, paradigm to the world. So uh, it said no, but it said no, not because it wants the little guy that's me uh, to obey it. <laughs> it's just trying to enforce my own soul's promise to myself. So yeah, it's divine beings game, but it's eternal gift to us that we get to live it our own way. Uh, so even when God, divine being says no, it's saying yes, as we said last time, to our own soul goals. And mm -hmm. so so much confusion about this out there in New Age spiritual land. It, the secret, you know, oh, just manifest, just think, think your way to it, visualize your way to it. Uh, Oh my God, uh, that's that that those folks have never had an, a non-dual enlightenment, obviously, or else they wouldn't believe such class. They wouldn't think their mind is that powerful. Yeah, yeah. I've exactly. had people tell me that I'll say something errant or something, and they'll say you're 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 casting spells right now. Your words are spells. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> yes. Well, then in that case, I'll talk about uh, you know money raining from the sky and uh, yes. peace on yeah. earth unfolding like a you know a cloud cover or something. Yeah, my my standard um, playing with that notion is um, uh, uh, when I'm in, uh, we go to a restaurant and the the server were complete. And um, is there anything else I can get you? And I I most always say when they do ask, a piece on earth, please, uh, as if uh, they could impart that uh, as giving me what I want. You know, uh, just by visualizing or willfulizing, you don't willfulize or thinkize your way to um, spiritual abundance. <laughs> you just don't. You surrender your way, especially since 2012, to whatever abundance fits your soul goals. And that's again, it's not about pleasing God. It's about abiding uh, uh getting in abidance with our own soul eye presence and priorities hmm. so uh that's why as you so beautifully said um it would make sense that the willful body is the last thing to um get healed up because it's the only one dynamical bandwidth is senior to the will and that's love hmm. right it's a will-based world not a love-based world and so, of course, uh, uh, humanity is dead ending right now in all of its uh, uh, tra travail. It's, uh, it's the end of the will-based world, um, which has to collapse in some way, hopefully not to send us back to the Stone Age, um, but uh, uh, it has to end in a certain dramatic way to allow love to start moving through. And identity's mission Let's help people do that one soul at a time, one soul at a time. There are some things, there are some truths to 100th monkey syndrome that's out there. Uh, Maharishi used to say 10,000 people meditate, it'll, it'll cause peace on earth uh, by a ripple effect, you know. Um, it's just not true. Uh, meditating uh, uh, might create some um, symptomatic shifts uh, in a, in a uh, temporarily in a culture or in a in um, in the world in a small way but the only way to change is change from the inside out um in it's the like way weather we're versus about. climate 
you can weather versus climate mm -hmm. exactly yes so uh will has to be surrendered not accentuated we we can't find the solution to the planet's woes using our will that's what we've been using all these millennia has it worked well and you know and it struck me before another sort of set of dots connecting that like the as children we set we we give up on love we we just wholesale give up on it and muster our will and the will employs the mind or our defenses employ the will of yes. mind yes uh huh and 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 then make a go of life you know mm -hmm. and and it's just coming together in in different ways for me we've talked about will versus love so many times but i don't think i've had the feeling of it so much of like oh yeah we give up on love mm -hmm. and then sort of immerse ourselves in will and then try to get love from inside that will box exactly it's like inside trying to get, the right yeah it's like it's like covering yourself in you know um you know rain gear and going out in the rain and trying to get wet like you do get a little wet but yeah. not very much and you're like oh, i just need more love i'm covered in rain gear and silicone and it's just maybe if i just jump higher or run faster or whatever oh, and whatever oh. we do from inside that it's just always going to fall short oh it's such a great metaphor joseph you have such great metaphors uh that raincoat analogy in the rain is so compelling and i and i laugh because i i, I mean i could equally weep at yeah. how tragic that truth is. And yet we keep creating um, a solution paths in our cultures, religions, and spiritualities. Well, no, we need a different fabric uh, uh, for the rain gear. Oh, yes. no, no, we, 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 need, we need it to be softer, or we need it to be harder, or we need it to be more will. Um, and even surrendering, we try to surrender in our rain gear, uh, in a rainstorm to get wet. Uh, you can't get wet with spirit while you have unconscious, existential and situational wound-based uses of will. Uh, it's just not going to work. And then the, the the trap is, of course, like the people, whatever paradigm it is, but in, in this case, uh, you know, we're using this metaphor, they, you do get a little wet. So yeah. what I see in people all the time is they've got something like, you know, like a, a very rudimentary form of meditation and it does mm. something for them. Yes. Sure. And then the story in them is like, well, it worked. So surely if I just do a little more or if I just focus a little harder, there's the yeah. sense of it's all it must be right around the next corner instead of like, yeah. no, that's as wet as you get covered in Gore-Tex. Like, that's it. <laughs> Oh, nice. You got to take it off now, you know. Yeah, and that's exactly uh, what Bree used to say so often uh, over the years: is we've got to get literally naked mm. for the reign of God to make its itself known to us experientially. No more Gore-Tex. No more Gore-Tex. It has to go naked, and say personhood and saint sagehood um, peel off. Uh, 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 more extraneous levels of the raincoat, but our our skin is a good metaphor for the raincoat. Um, we actually literally have to um, lose our our density and become more porous uh, in our be our personal being to be able to let the reign of divine being go. Oh, wait, I'm I'm seeing God, and I never saw God before in every 
moat and expression of life right now. Uh, all of a sudden it starts backlighting for you and then it goes away and then it comes back deeper and it goes away, it comes back deeper as we work finer and finer Gore-Tex coverings over different parts of ourselves. Yeah, and it does actually, I'm sure as I'm sure you've experienced it, feel like losing layers of skin feels raw yeah. and yes. a very uncomfortable and um, but also amazing depending on the moment. Yeah, and, and so another way to say that as long as we're talking about physical symptomology, just for a touch mm -hmm. moment here, is a lot of people these days are experiencing a lot of physical symptoms and worrying about the, the physical source of them when I would offer 75 to 80% of all physical symptoms, including vertigo, including mind fog, not just long COVID mind uh, mm -hmm. uh, brain fog. Uh, uh, um, it's, it's all because uh, the divine being, the yin divine being is deepening its effect on us every single day. And these physical symptomologies is sort of a mass population uh, proof that divine being vis-a-vis -vis our own soul eyes, it's pushing soul to push into our local uh, uh, focused lives. And when you start um, uh, uh, alchemizing the relationship between your soul eye and your present eye, um, it pushes out, it detoxes you. It literally pushes out toxins that are responsible for a lot of these symptoms. Uh, the last six weeks or so, I've had an enormously difficult um, pain to manage in my right shoulder mm -hmm. that doesn't allow my right arm to go up any higher than this without pain. Mm -hmm. And when I went into what that's representing, it's my young side, as an example, um, uh, being uh, 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 undermined uh, in favor of my yin uh, as I keep working smaller and smaller coarctations of my yangic resistances to surrender, yinic surrender, given the kind of mother I had, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, very similar to your mother. Yeah. So um, this pain, uh, when I realized what it was, I don't pay it. I don't. I don't think it's a problem to fix as much as what's the voice of my pain. What's the voice of this? The feeling voice of this pain. It's it's screaming. I, I the root of my ability to grab the world or, or or touch the world with my young side hand is being undermined, and it's screaming. Uh, I got. I have nothing to grip anymore. I have nothing to grip anymore without pain, and so these kinds of physical symptoms. Might I go to a, um, a, a, a chiropractor, for example, uh, a, or a massage therapist? After I get the voice, I might. But if I go and try to alleviate it with physical means, as a lot of people are trying to do with their physical symptoms, instead of seeing them as detox um, uh, 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 elements that you can actually hear the voice of if you've been deconditioned and reconditioned in an emotive first kind of paradigm like identity. So I wanted to speak to those physical that physical symptomology yeah. because it's rampant these days. Um, vertigo is a big one, also. So and brain fog, uh, all that. Okay, so um, let's go. Let's let's uh, re revisit the um, the trident. Uh -huh. uh, we'll go to some content here now, because what's we've already exposed what's holding old time religion too much uh, uh, in the present. Is, is belief and uh, absolute truth. So you take away belief and you take away absolute truth. Uh, 
impossible for human beings. And all of a sudden, what, what is it that we're supposed to do to make up, uh, to get through the, the, uh, our, our, and, and reach our spiritual goals to experience divine being <laughs> so we don't ever have to believe in it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you encounter divine being, you only believe in something you haven't experienced yet. Yeah, jo- I heard you Joseph know? Campbell said uh, once, I don't need belief, I have experience. Yes, uh, he was. He was such a good headline guy. You know, a lot of <laughs> yeah, a lot of times we need teachers like him uh, uh, to give us the headlines. He he didn't offer any process no. or overall paradigm except uh, the rebooting of sacred masculine in some way, which was really helpful. Uh, but it's there's just headlines. You you can't get by unlike we do today in our with our mental bodies. Get by on uh, uh, Twitter. Um, headlines and, and Apple TV. Well, Apple he, he, he was an anthropologist, technically, yeah. wasn't he? I mean, anthropology. Exactly. I study in anthropology. It's basically just stepping back and saying what you see. It's not really like yes. It's not paradigm. It's not paradigm shattering. It's looking for universalities, not 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 new sure. things. Yeah, yeah, and but that's fine. We we need those kinds of um, town criers uh, mm-hmm. for our um, our human village. Uh, so all of these kinds of uh, contributions are good. But getting back to the point of it here, um, uh, how do we process our way uh, once we do manage to get far enough to start doing some pertinent sagehood or sainthood type practices? And one of the first things we have to unplug is a lot of conditioning about the nature of altruism, unconditional love, and sacrifice. Uh, with those are the three dynamics that have kept our species uh, CQ as a general, the low, the lowest, the belief that these three dynamical things actually exist when they do not. So let's let's take altruism first, right? Um, altru- altruism, sacrifice, unconditional love, right? Um, altruism, we talked a bit about in earlier podcasts, some of the early uh, podcasts. Yeah, but um, altruism's main um, uh, 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 goal is to displace narcissism. Altruism is the medicine for narcissism. Uh, That's a pretty general um, way of looking at it. And I think it captures it pretty well. In other words, make the needs of others more important than your own needs and wants, the needs and wants of others more important. Uh, And that that particular um, picture of things, altruism versus narcissism, identity just simply offers the headline first that um, narcissism and altruism are equally wound-based, two versions of the same wound-based coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, narcissism is obviously wound-based, but altruism is also. Because if we buy into making other people's needs and wants more important than our own to offset original sin, remember the, the original sin was the reason altruism came up to um, to offset it, we can't do anything in ourselves to heal original sin, which is just about original sin, the worst idea humankind. Someone asked me once, what's the worst idea humankind ever came up with? That's easy, original sin, because it infects the world's population, not just consciously. Modern generations think 
they're done with that or if they're not really religious. Yeah, it's but, very much still there. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you could see, if people could see the gray brown cloud that is um, uh, 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 centuries and millennia long teachings of, of original sin's effect on the planetary consciousness, you, you, you just were, were choking unconsciously on this without even knowing it. Yeah, you can't see it until you actually have your own experience of your own goodness, which like yeah. takes years usually to, to get yes. to. And then exactly. once you get that, and then there's this contrast of like, yeah, people think they're so essentially bad and they have no idea they're doing it. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. In other words, narcissism, uh, altruism was meant to... Um, undermine narcissism but narcissism actually came first which is why it's tricky because original sin um says nothing you can do and control inside of us goes oh yeah <laughs> and, then, and then says i'm gonna make my own needs and wants um, against the grain of original sin so the root of narcissism narcissism is original sin the root of altruism is original sin <laughs> in the uh, both of them uh so uh we've got to we've got to unplug altruism because when you choose and you 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 have some really good words around this i'm sure uh, when you choose to um actuate your will uh, to serve the needs and wants of others you are making that choice yeah uh, it's soul as a sacrifice but it's just a choice it's impossible to do anything uh, without some benefit to ourselves. And it's so obvious, it's heartbreaking. What's the good, what's the narcissism of altruism? What's the reward we get for altruism? A lot. We get to, we get to go to heaven and Jesus will kiss us on, a, on the forehead after making sure St. Peter has our pass at the Golden Gate. Mm -hmm. uh, we do altruism selfishly so we can get into heaven. Wait, what? What? How is it that no one has seen this before? There is. It is impossible. And I, you know how many times over the years you've known me. Give me one example of sacrifice or of unconditional love or of non-self-interest. Mm -hmm. Everything we choose has a self-interest to it, even though a good share of our service to others, our self-interest is unconscious to us. Even if uh, it materially benefits other more than self, it's still absolutely. there must be a value or a belief or an idea that you're serving if you or to give up every last cent you have and give it to charity, it's because yeah. you wanted to do that. And there's, yes. there's no escaping why you would want yeah. to do that. In the very least, Joseph, it makes you feel good to serve the wants and needs of others. Wait, yeah. what? You just made yourself feel good. How is that sacrifice? Or it, you, even if it makes you feel terrible, you were the yeah. one who decided that you wanted to feel terrible because you feel so unworthy. You need to have no possessions. So it, it, there's no escaping the fact that we're a choice is the problem. With every single moment, uh, when when Jiddu Krishnamurti said, "Every moment we are freedom is," uh, another way to to um, turn that into spirit more spiritual focuses. It is impossible for us to not have self-interest. That the self-interest may be unconscious to us doesn't let us off the hook, right? So, um, well, 
give me an example of non-self-interest sacrifice or unconditional love in operation and maybe um i'd, I'd question uh, identity's offering here quick sidebar here I, a while back i i uh, looked at the text of um greed is good the gordon gecko oh. speech in wall street uh -huh. if you yeah. replace that with healthy self-interest it totally yes. works absolutely uh, and i way to go joseph <laughs> uh, i i remember thinking something or feeling something like that because I watched, I watched Wall Street a dozen times mm -hmm. because there was some value in it. And then maybe the 10th or 11th time I got a hit, oh, just just take away uh, 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 unhealthy self-interest with healthy yeah. self-interest. Right? The, the, the whole speech starts with, he literally says verbatim, greed, for, back, for lack of a better term, is good. It's not greed yeah. is good. It's greed no. for lack of a better term is good. And then <laughs> yeah. he's criticizing the board members who collecting salaries and not working. And yeah. he's saying, you know, that people coming in and buying this paper company out or whatever, I forget what it is, uh -huh. is actually going to be good for everyone. And his yeah. own quote greed that's driving that is good for the company and all of the employees. And it, it yeah. completely, it pisses me off that it got completely misinterpreted that way just because there's not a better term or a better paradigm. Uh, that's that's it. The term is a function of a value system, and a value system is a yeah. function of a paradigm. So he has a self-serving uh, uh, paradigm that says only my needs matter, and I will crash airplanes if I have to to get my needs met. Now that's narcissism, not greed. Mm -hmm. It's unhealthy self-interest. Mm -hmm. So we just have to reparadigmize the whole the whole world in some way. It, and that's what humbly identity is trying to plant seeds for, to re-paradigmize the whole world in exactly things like you just said, in the simple cultural artifacts like movies, mm -hmm. the, the assumptions, every movie maker is a philosopher. Yeah. Movie maker puts their own values or the, va the values that want to criticize other values or support their values as the background um, uh, uh, universe of a movie. So mm -hmm. you learn about the writer and the director uh, 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 muchly by watching their creation. And so uh, and sometimes it's hard to tell whether they're promoting or denigrating a paradigm. Yes. Like, am I supposed to believe what they're doing is a good thing? <laughs> well, if, if you can't tell, then you're called an auteur you know? <laughs> uh, because you're not so obvious and gauche um, about the message. Well, I, I think a lot about um, one of my favorite superheroes has always been Spider-Man because he, uh, first of all, he's reluctant and mm -hmm. he's driven by his own guilt because he failed yes. to stop the murderer of uh, who the guy who murdered his uncle, who was like a father yes. to him. Mm -hmm. And then he has this thing of like, he can't be close to anyone because mm -hmm. whoever he gets close to, someone, something bad will happen to them happen to them because he's a superhero. But nobody yes. ever calls him on that he's infantilizing his girlfriend by not telling her <laughs> that she's Spider-Man because like, just tell her and let her take the risk. He doesn't tell her, for if in the comic world, depending on which version, he doesn't tell her that he's Spider-Man because he can't. And then the villains steal her away anyway because they figure out they're connected. And he never gives her the choice because yeah. he's such a martyr. And we're and I'm yeah. like, are we supposed to think that he's being a mature <laughs> person? Or yeah. are we supposed to look at him and go, oh, Peter Parker, what is wrong with you? Just, you know, you're treating your, your girlfriend like a child. Yes. Um, 
I know it gets confusing sometimes when you start to see through the veil of altruism because he's a very well-meaning guy, of course. Yeah. Oh, he's well consciously intended, mm -hmm. but completely malconditioned in his unconscious motives for his conscious intentions. That's yeah. why that progression, Joseph, why when, when I read when I boiled the human diseased human animal down to the bones, the bones told me that it's motive, unconscious motive, conscious intention. Um, actually, or uh, um, uh, follow up action and out and manifest outcome, unconscious motive, conscious intention, uh, uh, action to create a certain outcome based on the intention. But our wound based motives, two thirds of our conscious intentions are underlined by underlain by unconsciously wounded motives and psychology. Philo psychology or the philosophy of psychology only works with conscious or what can be easily associated out of the uh, unconscious by a clever therapist. It doesn't see the structure of that three quarters of our of our good intentions are underlain by wounded motives that road to hell is paved with good intentions is one way we say it. Right. So. Um, yeah. One one thing about sacrifice I want to throw in here. I, I may have said this before. We talked about this like 30 episodes ago. Um, uh -huh. But uh, the fascinating thing for me about sacrifice is in, in um, like sort of uh, polytheistic uh, paradigms, they'd kill the goat in order to get rain from the gods on the crops. Mm -hmm. That wasn't altruistic. That was a deal. Yes. So mm -hmm. I've always been so curious to research when did sacrifice turn from a deal to uh -huh. altruistic, to selfless, because it must have happened somewhere in our history. His, historically, yeah. There was always an expectation of a benefit in mm -hmm. a sacrifice. Yeah. And they there was no um, a, a delusion of non-self-interest. Let's yeah. kill 20 bulls and drink their blood, or 20 virgins, mm -hmm. patriarchally, and, and then the gods will smile on us and we'll get rain. They were absolutely shameless in wanting a benefit. When did altruism come in? When uh, organized religion started killing off conquistador-wise, Puritan-wise in this country, um, every uh, colonialism in India, when the Western powers, political uh, uh, armadas and armies obliterated um, the uh, next level version of tribalism uh, in indigenous peoples, uh, in indigenous peoples, they will make sacrifices so the gods um, will help them in the buffalo hunt or whatever it is. Uh, but when the Western religion stepped in and wiped out on almost every continent, the indigenous peoples, or at least reduced them to um, irrelevancy, uh, uh, the, the Maori in um, New Zealand and the uh, Aborigines in in Australia, at least still survive to some degree and have some of their ancient lands still available to them. Mm -hmm. Not so in India, not so in the in Mesoamerica, uh, whether it's uh, uh, South America, uh, North America, or Middle America, Middle America there. Mm -hmm. So that's where, where that histor historically, where the expectation of a benefit from a sacrifice was obliterated by those who hold absolute truth our god is the only god so they murder to support and and say oh we're, we want to um uh, uh spiritualize and, and help these indigenous people yeah help by killing them uh wiping them from their 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 lands saving uh, them 
saving them. Yes. Oh my God. The twist in that is just nauseating to me. Yeah. So that there's your answer to your question. The historically, that's when it started to happen when Western interests to grab raw resources from fertile lands inhabited by indigenous peoples um, with the justification like England did, oh, we're going to build you roads and we're going to build you factories. Mm -hmm. um, wink, wink, uh, nod, nod. Um, so we can exploit your resources and reduce you to slave labor. And then the do. shift, it went from sacrificing, um, you know, valuable goods or livestock to sacrificing time, sacrificing money, sacrificing a career path. And, and so we don't sacrifice, right. uh, you know, lambs anymore. We, no. we sacrifice our Sundays instead. And because we don't lose the lamb that's not walking around anymore, it's like easier to fool ourselves into thinking it's altruistic somehow because we actually... We can't see the thing we're gaining. I don't. I don't know. It's weird. The the rot, uh, the seminal rot of original sin is the uh, is the uh, ontogeny, ontogenic source of sacrifice, uh, altruism, non self, as if non self interest was possible to human beings. Mm -hmm. And let's get the big one here: unconditional love. Oh yes. Oh man, this is this is so. This is um, uh, smells uh, in two different dimensions, both semantically and uh, in existential content. Nothing is un unconditional in this conditioned world. We we can't escape our conditioning. All we can do is re reconditioned, so we're no longer slave to the old conditioning. But we <laughs> even healing from our conditioning requires a reconditioning. You can't transcend conditions unconditional semantically it's null and void there's no referent in human experience for unconditional would Especially, a strict zen master say that you can be free of all conditions um they i've heard one teacher i can't remember which one make that position but softly they stay behind a curtain of non-positionality um, that way. And so they don't get caught up on the intrinsic semantic meaning of words, mm -hmm. but it's back there. It's back there because paradigmatically, if we go one step more meta, paradigmatically, if you transcend the human theater, oh, but we are accepting it. We are accepting it. Mm -hmm. But by the way, it's an illusion. So, you know, we, we accept our illusion. So participate in the conditions without ever really believing any of it is real. Exactly so, right. Mm -hmm. uh, so semantically, it's null and void, no referent in the human condition. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 dynamically, condi uh, uh, conditional uh, is conditionality is our our deal here. That's just the way it is. Everything's conditioned by weather, by climate, by parenting, by societies, by religions. Everything's conditioned. Uh, what they mean by unconditional love is um, uh, uh, love someone no matter what that's the basic parochial expression of unconditional love i love you no matter what well now we get into a little grittier you love them no matter what what does that really mean uh, you love them even when they um they stab you with a fork do you still love them you turn the other cheek that way what 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 is it about them that makes you willing to be hurt by people so there's a, this is a very complex issue. It's not an easy one. Mm -hmm. What we say in identity, if we go to the headline and work backward, uh, uh, we certainly would say there's something called meta-conditional love, 
where we realize we will choose to do something that benefits others feelingly more than it benefits us, but it really does benefit us too because it makes us feel good to do it in some way because we're going to get to heaven. Jesus will love us then. Uh, Metaconditional love never believes in sacrifice. Metaconditional love says, I choose to do this because I think there's a longer term benefit for me even in in doing uh, caving in here to this that you want um, because there's a benefit for both of us because I think I've got some resistances here. In other words, we process our choices and the unconscious motives for our choices, meaning metaconditional love. I certainly um, uh, love my my beloved Brie in ways that is are metaconditional. Um, I don't sit in, uh, and um, uh, 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 cry like a little two-year-old tantrum when I don't get what I want with her. Uh, I, I, I have the bigger picture that if there are some things in our relationship that are not personally gratifying to me, um, I, that's a sign for me to look at maybe I've got some unexpected grips on my own need for self-gratification. We look this mm. way, we stay on our side. And then I then I choose to um, heartfully choose, not just energetically choose, to work my side. And then if I heal, I, then I find what a coincidence. Uh, my being peaked a little bit by not getting gratified in our relationship. What do you know? I had an overattachment to that particular fulfillment that I never would have discovered if my beloved didn't automatically fulfill it. You see? In which that by the way, is of course completely different than a compromise-based relationship, oh, yeah, which we could right, spend right. an hour talking about, but just to stick that in there. Well, um, let, you just um, highlighted our next topic. Okay. Um, I offer when we're done with sainthood, which I think we do need one more, we're right. going to take out coupling, <laughs> couples and parenting. Uh-huh. We're going to take those apart to the next level. And parenting? Okay. And parenting, yeah. Um, uh, they'll require a little separate uh, dimensions. Yeah. So in the end, um, uh, identity even comes up um, wanting to plant seeds for the future. Um, altruism, we replace with the term amorism, which mm-hmm. is there is a benefit to myself and all my giving. Um, replaces sacrifice with choice. Um, replaces an unconditional love with um, meta-conditional love on a whole other basis. So this, this, those three, the trident of, of, uh, of death, uh, um, that those... <laughs> death. Feel... Every time we talk about it, it gets more dark and sinister. Yes. Well, it, 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 it literally stabs our heart of soul. Uh, mm. Those, those um, ridiculous low consciousness um, definitions and teachings that still fill every Sunday well, pulpit in Christianity every single week. I, I want to. I have a theory about why we're drawn to unconditional love. Of course, there's paradigm, paradigm stuff there, but um, one is. Let me see if I can get this out because uh, my mind is not very linear today. Um, what we intuit universal love, and sometimes even actually connect oh, to yes. it. So the intuition of the universal love, which is a layer of sainthood, it's an attempt to transact universal love at the level of the personal and the conditional, which doesn't really work that way. So it's it's a sort of an approximation of universal love transacted personally. And then the other uh, theory I have is that it's... um, uh, it's uh, a a, a codependent leftover need from childhood 
because we needed meta conditional love as children from our parents. And when we don't get it, we, um, this is why you end up with arguments and with adults as in, and if you push them hard enough uh, as adults will say, just accept me for the way I am. Uh (laughs) And, and that's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You needed to get that as a kid. Yes. But no, I don't accept that this aspect of you or what you did here or whatever. It's a, it's a cry for love that they didn't get. And that's everybody on one level or another. I've had my parents tell me to accept them the way they are. Yeah. Mine too. Mine too. Which is the ultimate cowardice from a high CQ point of view. Mm -hmm. So I love what you just said. Um, uh, That whole idea that um, we are, calling to ourselves the very things we want to get away from ourselves in other words from a sainthood point of view what we all the travails we call to ourselves that we ask for divine beings deliverance from we call them to us uh, so we can heal not to fix them not to offset them with their opposites so we just have to have the courage and the teach be recondition ourselves to the space to be curiosity, have curiosity on our own sides to under unplug projections, even if our diagnosis of someone else's shit is sober, just because it's sober doesn't mean we don't have a contribution to that so to that um, truth. Mm-hmm. So that that unplugs all the victimhood inside of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, one last point is that what what our 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 tribe has called universal love. Uh, is actually, if you, identity would say universal love is soul-based, but metaconditional love is personhood-based. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, And so uh, technically the the problem with universal love in our current world uh, uh, panoply of paradigms is that um, it's a transcendence-based dynamic. You transcend the personal to reach universal love. Identity personalizes us to universal love, personalizes us to universal love. And this is why you see in the new age world that in new age paradigm, you see people who value universal love very much and they sort of appear to be able to pull it off, but they're non-personal and they're far away and yeah. they'd sort of create a self-image that is suffused in universal love, possibly yes. with very real access to it, but they lose their groundedness is the first thing yes. to go. Exactly. Um, because they're tra- because transcendence dynamic. Exactly, yes. As you said. So, you know, we've talked a lot about um, today what the effects of identity's offerings, um, what's the personal um, attribution or application of those principles that uh, our paradigm is based on? How do we actually work through them personally? What is our experience of it? But I would like to invite people that the end game here, um, which I'd like to end with today, uh, is when we, as we said in other paradigms or in other uh, podcasts. <laughs> we don't say uh, anything yeah. in other paradigms. No, no, that's right. Um, that, uh, uh, the um, end goal, the end game of of identity is attaining emotional body ensoulment and personhood, mental body ensoulment and sagehood, and willful body ensoulment and sainthood, 
all in one lifetime. Moving from that fear is, to insolment. Yes, from fear to everything's ensouled, not enlightened. Enlightenment is the best we could do until now. Mm. Ensoulment is the new kid and the new sheriff in town. And identity offers a, a very difficult, arduous road, but attainable for those who are curious and in a lifetime ready to do some version of those three hoods, as we say. But the, the doing them all in one lifetime will impart to you a presence not of um, a, a heaven on earth or some sort of utopia. Uh, uh, it's about experiencing earth as heaven, self as soul, and God, personal God, as my root being that gives me the freedom to have my own soul experience inside of it. So if you're if that makes you hungry, um, that description, when I walk through, when I'm tuned in, as I'm tuned in about 80% of the day, 85% of every day, still 15% of stuff, I'm, I will be chiseling away till I'm dead. Um, I'm walking through God. I start every moment with God. I walk through every moment with God and I end every moment with God because we can't get outside of God to have, imagine, to experience what a lot of people who have had near-death experiences and come back tell us, oh my God, everything's connected, blah, 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 blah. Imagine being able to experience that without having to die. Mm. That's what enheartenment or Atma Brahmesh is, to experience what we experience in between lifetimes, but while we're still alive. And that's what I want to just plant as the um, end goal of all three hoods, because in one way, all three are sainthood, but there's different domains of processing, the emotional body, then the mental body, then the will body in the three hoods, but it's all spiritual, all spiritual. It's all saintly in that sense. So um, we still have a lot. Of, I'd like to talk, bake a little more about um, uh, karma and reincarnation. Oh yeah, we didn't get to that. And I'd like to talk about soul species. So I was just going to say, yeah, we got to do that too. Then, mm -hmm. so let's let's do karma, reincarnation, and soul species as our headlines for next time. Okay. And after that, we'll um, we'll start with uh, um, couplehood, uh, which is a lot of interest these which days. We'll take and... two dozen podcasts. <laughs> Perhaps it will. Yeah, how how identity uh, approaches the whole uh, problem of relationality. Actually, the challenge of relationality. Mm -hmm. So that's. Uh, I think I've, uh, that's my, what I got today, Joseph. Yeah. Well, thank you, Stace. This was, um, rich and, uh, I don't know what the word is. Um, dot connecting for me. So oh, dot connecting. Yeah. I, that's what I love about our podcast, Joseph. Um, you inevitably, um, get dots connected. Even if you connected them before you connected them with less dots, Yes. Uh, as you keep growing, <laughs> they become more immediately evident. Uh, mm. and, uh, and and what that is, is it shows people that um, this kind of stuff is not pie in the sky, that it's actually doable. Mm. While we're carrying around this meat sock, we call <laughs> a, uh, a, a human body. So, Amen. Amen to that. Well, thank you, Stace. Thank you, listeners, for hanging with us. If you've been listening in order, wow, you've made it. 37 episodes that's impressive good job and i uh, hope you'll tune in next time thanks again thanks for listening to the heart of soul podcast 
To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.